The purge continues on the Seahawks defensive line with a popular big name veteran now getting his walking papers. We'll be breaking it down and what that means for the Seahawks defensive line on our latest installment of Locked on Seahawks. You are locked on Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang, and a special thanks to all the 12s out there, whether you're listening in Portugal, you're listening in South Africa, or nearby in Redmond. We greatly appreciate you making Locked On Seahawks your first listen Five days a week. The Seahawks made yet another move along the defensive line as they continue to revamp that unit after a disappointing season. This one was a bit more of a shocker. We'll be diving into that. Plus, looking at some options on Transaction Tuesday for how the Seahawks can replace that player up front in the trenches. And we'll be joined by Christopher Carter of Locked On Steelers to dive into their new linebacker, Devin Bush, and what he brings to the table for the Seahawks. Now for your lead story here on our Tuesday installment of Locked On Seahawks. It seems like this happens every time we record a podcast during the offseason. Some news breaks during the time that we are recording and that just happened to happen yesterday near the end of our show. The Seahawks announcing that they have parted ways with veteran defensive tackle Al Woods, who was one of their team captains last year, one of the few bright spots on the defensive line a year ago. Rob, maybe it shouldn't be a surprise because of how much the Seahawks are up against the cap right now. This does open up more than $3.5 million by letting him go. He is an older player, going to be 36 next week. But at the same time, this one is a much tougher one to swallow than getting rid of Shelby Harris or Quentin Jefferson because Woods has been such a rock on the defensive line for the Seahawks. Well, no, he absolutely has been a rock. And I, and I would argue that, that, that you know, letting go Shelby Harris and Quentin Jefferson also was difficult. Gabe Jackson as well. But uh, Al Woods, just because of his size, because it, as you said, I mean, he was one of the real joys to watch. Um, you know, there, there's been some times over the last couple of seasons, Corbin, where, you know, the, the Seahawks were not a lot of fun to watch, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And yet Al Woods made them fun just because he played with a joy that kind of belies that that age that I think was a factor. Um, and, you know, I think it's just the reality of the situation that he also plays a position that is just not as valued in today's NFL. Um, I think that his age, that the position that he plays, uh, the fact that we are sitting here on the precipice of the draft, basically a month away, that does have some defensive line talent in it, as we'll get to in a second. I think all of those factors played into why uh, you know Al Woods was released. I, I wonder if Seattle didn't ask him to restructure his contract, and and he may have said no, and, and this ultimately was what uh, you know happened. I think that the Seahawks would love to have Al Woods. I certainly, as a as a follower of the Seahawks, would, would love to see Seattle or would have loved to have seen Al Woods continue his career with, with the Seahawks. But at the same time, I just don't know that he is going to get any type of deal from any other team out there that is going to pay him as much as what Seattle would have paid him. So I, you know, I, I feel terrible for Al Woods. Again, I think he's a terrific player. 
Um, the fact that he's a captain, as you mentioned, I think makes it sting that much more. But at the same time, this is a business. I think that Seattle saved themselves some money. Uh, I think if there's a possibility that Al Woods, maybe Quentin Jefferson or Shelby Harris even, that they might be coming back sometime in, in the future as well. Uh, I think this, again, is a move that is designed to give Seattle as much flexibility right now as they possibly can. Yeah, and the real issue with this for me, I understand the cost-cutting measures and that this is a business and it's an older player. I'm trying to see what the Seahawks' plan is right now with their defensive line in general. Now, when John Schneider and Pete Carroll this offseason, earlier in the offseason, expressed their disappointment with the way that that group played last year, it's clearly obvious they were not kidding with the way that they are completely tearing this line down to the studs. But just look at what is left on that defensive line right now. The only players that have game experience that are on the roster, Draymond Jones and Jaron Reed, who they signed in free agency to replace Shelby Harris and Quentin Jefferson, and Miles Adams. Those are the only healthy defensive tackles they have on their roster right now that have game experience. They do have Miles, or uh, they have uh, Brian Monet is on the roster, but he's recovering from a torn ACL. And who knows if he's going to be ready anytime soon when the season gets started. He had more complications there than just an ACL, and we're talking a 350-pound nose tackle. So that recovery might be even longer. So specifically at that nose tackle spot, what is the game plan? Now, we know that Pete Carroll has been a pro when it comes to finding older veterans after the draft. Al Woods actually was that one point for the Seahawks plugging him in late in free agency and getting good production out of that player. So maybe that's what they're going to try to do again this year when the draft is over with. Maybe they can add a young guy in there too. But it's hard to look right now at the game plan when you only have five defensive tackles that are on your roster that are healthy, four of them with game experience. It's tough to look at that and see what the vision is necessarily. They have some money now to work with, not a lot. And we don't even know what Julian Love's contract is going to be cap-wise. So they have effective cap space under $3 million right now without the Love deal in there. And that's with Woods being released, according to Over the Cap. So the cap situation, they've set themselves up with this with how much money they're investing in the safety position, among other spots. But right now, they're up against it, and they're going to have to try to find bargains and they're going to have to go young at defensive line, which has not been something they've done in the Pete Carroll era, but they've got 10 draft picks. This seems to be telling me that that's where they are leaning, and maybe they can get one of those bargain bin veterans after the draft that can help solidify the defensive line. But it's tough to look at it right now and think about where's this group going to be in the 2023 season with all of the purge that they've had here getting rid of talented veterans. They, they did get rid of talented veterans, but again, I mean, th this was not a, a, a dominant Seahawks defense. And, yeah. and so if you're over 30 years old and you're not at the, you know, on the precipice of, of becoming a better player, um, you know, for, and possibly becoming a great player, then are you really in the long-term future of the club? And I think that's basically what Seattle is doing here is I think they're basically, and I don't love this analogy, but I think they're ripping the Band-Aid off, basically. I think that they have been emboldened by the success that they had at the offensive tackle position, um, you know, with starting the two rookies and having the success that they had. And I, I love that you mentioned Brian Monet, you know, as a former undrafted free agent, as a big, big man, and Seattle 
found him as undrafted free agent, as they've shown so much success in being able to do at so many different positions, um, you know, including defensive tackle, not only Monet, but obviously in, uh, in, in Puna Ford previously as well. Um, and again, I think that they are just feel very confident that they might be able to find one of those guys in this year's draft class. Now, I don't see a lot of guys who have the similar size as Al Woods. I mean, my goodness, there's only so many human beings that big and strong, but there are a couple. Um, there's a couple of pretty high profile guys that I think that they're going to wind up going here probably in the top, you know, 50, certainly in the, the, the top hundred uh draft picks but there's also some interesting late round guys including a player i i saw just a couple of days ago at the university of oregon pro day who again i think might be you know some players the, the, that that seattle considered the point i'm trying to make here is that i do think that seattle does have some options we're talking about those big run stuffers those tend to be available late whether it be on draft day whether it be in free agency and they don't usually require a lot of money so again i, I think that uh, as you said Gordon, and the, the Seahawks were up against it in the salary cap. I think that the most vulnerable person on their team at that point was the oldest one on the team, always. Um, and, and so, unfortunately, that, that basically put Al Woods, I think, under the spotlight. And, again, I, I still hope that uh, that you might see Al Woods return. You might see Shelby Harris or Quentin Jefferson return. But clearly, Seattle didn't think that their play justified their pay a season ago. Yeah, that's truly the big sign here is that – we might like you, but we don't love you at that price point, and we need to make yeah. some other additions to our roster. And I think it is telling that Puna Ford has not been signed yet. Shelby Harris and Quentin Jefferson have not been signed, and they've been on the market now for a week. And we've seen how quickly teams have been swooping in to sign some of these players. For none of those three to have a new contract with a new team at this stage – uh, that shows you what the rest of the league thinks of Seattle's defensive line from a year yep. ago and the players that they're letting walk. And so that's the reality. You said ripping the Band-Aid off. I, like I said, my analogy, they're breaking everything down to the studs. We're starting over with a couple guys yep. that we think can get the job done, and we're going to rebuild around them with a line that we hope is more dynamic and more disruptive and, most importantly, can actually defend the run, which was the biggest issue for the Seahawks last season. We're going to continue this conversation and let our listeners get involved with Transaction Tuesday coming up next. What should the Seahawks do to replace Al Woods along the defensive line? Maybe some other positions along the defensive line as well. Our fans were chiming on a number of different topics. So we'll get to those here in a moment for Transaction Tuesday. This episode is brought your way by Built Bar. If you're looking for a delicious treat, but you don't want all the fat and calories, you got to try a Built Bar. We're almost a quarter of the way through the my goal, a little health, so kind of up and down for me. But if you're like me and you want to eat healthier and not compromise taste, then you've got to try Built Bars. 100% real chocolate, incredible flavors such as churro, peanut butter, brownie, and coconut almond. They have endless flavors, and I don't know how they do it, but these bars taste like a candy bar while maintaining amazing macros and being healthy and good for you. Only 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now you don't have to wait around to get a box. This is the best part. We've been telling you to order Built Bars at Built.com. You can still do that, but if you want to get them a little faster, you can go over to your local Walmart or Sam's Club. Head over to your nearest Walmart, walk to the pharmacy section, and grab yourself a box of Built Bars. You can get a four-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, or coconut puffs. If that's too small of a box, of course, you can go over to Sam's Club where Bigger always happens and grab a 13-bar box with their hit flavors such as brownie batter and churro. You can thank me later. 
You're listening to the Tuesday installment of Locked On Seahawks. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Glad, as always, to be joined by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks, as always, to all the 12s out there for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. And for your second listen, make sure to check out the NFL Scouting Show, the Locked On NFL Scouting Show with draft dudes from free agency to the draft, salary cap management, and more. Join NFL experts Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino as they take you through what it's like to build a successful NFL franchise every Monday through Friday. Find Locked On NFL Scouting with the draft dudes wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Rob, let's get to our weekly transaction Tuesday. And I will admit we had a little different topic in mind. And then after our show, we find out yesterday that Al Woods was released. And that is a massive hole now in the middle of Seattle's line. As we just talked about, they don't have a healthy nose tackle on the roster. And so that led us to think, you know what, this seems like something where we need to get our home general managers that listen to the show regularly involved and see what we can do to fix this issue and replace Al Woods. And so here was the question that we posed to our listeners today on social media. What can the Seahawks do to replace Al Woods? Specifically, we were looking at the nose tackle position. Of course, many of you wanted to find players that could play nose and also play the other positions. Kudos to you. Versatility is always number one with Pete Carroll. But the five options we had, A, we got to have a big fish, and this is a really big fish in Vita Vea, maybe a player that the Buccaneers will make available after all the purging they've had to do in their roster, try to open up salary cap space, not expected to contend. Maybe he's a player that's available. Or a lesser-known player, option B, maybe that's Mike Purcell on the Broncos who's played in a 3-4, or maybe somebody like Ashawn Robinson who remains a free agent. And then option C, there's two nose tackles that we believe stand out above the rest, and that's Mozzie Smith from Michigan and Siaki Ika from Baylor. So this would be using a second-round pick on a defensive tackle to fill that void And then option D, that would be your third round or later tackles, maybe like Jared Clark, who's coming from Coastal Carolina. And of course, option E, wait it out and hope you can re-sign one of the players that you cut, a Shelby Harris, a Quentin Jefferson, or maybe even Al Woods replaces Al Woods down the line. So we had all those options. And Rob, we've been blown away by how many responses that we have been getting from fans This week, though, we topped it with this question just on Twitter alone, 162 tweets in response to the question. So we obviously can't read all of those, but we have a handful that we'll be looking at here before Rob and I weigh in on the options. And looking at the first one coming from Coach Velasco, and Coach has this to say, Vita Vea would be amazing if the cost isn't prohibitive That's a no-brainer. His cap hit, and we'll talk about this in a minute, if they could do this trade after June 1st, actually maybe could fit into their plan, into their plans, excuse me, for next year. But uh, his cap hit in 2024 is massive. So that would be something the Seahawks would have to consider for future ramifications. Scott Alexander says, Sean Robinson and draft Mozzie Smith give us two younger players with long arms. Kurt says he prefers in our system. Ashawn wouldn't cost us draft capital. And with limited cap space, it makes him a better fit. And then Jason Martin, he said, we're probably going to be forced to take Smith, Ika, or Benton. We need to grab somebody around 37-ish 
to ensure that we get a nose tackle. We'll also probably need to take a day three type as well. Listed Keandre Coburn and Jared Clark as two possibilities in the fourth round or later. And also said they could explore bringing back one of the veterans like Harris or Woods later after the draft at a cheaper price. And one last one here coming from Verdi. Velasco, C and D options continue with the youth movement, have the rooks refine their skills technique, learning from the coaches and vets up front while rotating in during the game. That was generally the consensus, Rob. I would say that Vita Vea finished a distant second, but most of the responses were doubling up on young guys in the draft. Get somebody somebody early with those second round picks and then wait till <clears> they <throat> and grab yourself another player, maybe somebody like Amazi Smith in round two that can p- play all over the line, but also play nose tackle. That seems to be the route that Seahawk fans are leaning heavily towards right now. Yeah, and, and honestly, the, the draft uh, fan in me also wants to lean that way. The little bit more realistic NFL scout in me, on the other hand, the one that kind of knows that the Seahawks are otherwise building themselves up to be a legitimate playoff contender this next season. And and just knowing the way that John Schneider and Pete Carroll have operated, and you kind of alluded to this earlier, Corbin, I I wonder if there is not a plan in place for... For, to try to resign some of those players. So option E, to resign some of those players that Seattle has let go. Again, that being Al Woods, Quentin Jefferson, Shelby Harris. I think especially with Woods and Harris, their uh, production in the 3-4, I, I think, really stand out. Quentin Jefferson had you know, had a great season for Seattle, uh, you know, what, a couple of years ago in this past season. I mean, it was there. It was productive as well. I just... I think that you already have that in, in what you got with Draymond Jones. Whereas to me, Shelby Harris with his build and certainly with Al Woods with his build, uh, I don't think that the Seahawks currently have that. Um, I, I love the idea of bringing Mozzie Smith. It was one of the, I think it was the second response that you read. The idea of pairing a Mozzie Smith, who I, is my favorite nose guard in this draft class by by far. Um, I, I like the idea of pairing him and then Ashawn Robinson. If if you get clean medical reports on him, to me, I love the size, the physicality that he, he offers. To me, he's not a true nose guard. He is more of that kind of classic five technique, those big, long-armed run stuffers that you've seen. And that's one of the things I want to make sure I mentioned to kind of go back to this idea of doubling down with the rookies. There are not a lot of big nose guards that I personally like in this draft class. There are, however, a lot of those 6'3", 6'4", 6'5", 285 to 310-pound long-armed run-stuffing presences. You mentioned Keanu Benton from Wisconsin. Uh, there's the kid from... Um, from Florida that I'm a, a, a Irvin Dexter, of, I believe. Irvin Dexter. Yep, exactly. Um, Byron Young from Alabama. There's a Byron Young from Tennessee who is an edge rusher. There's a Byron Young from Alabama who is a run stuffer and a big physical sucker at that. Uh, and, and so to me, he's another one. Jacqueline Roy from, from LSU is another one. You mentioned Gerard Clark from Coastal Carolina as a big as a big nose guard type. My, my point is, again, I, I think that Seattle can go the veteran route with the second tier player. Not, yeah, if you can get a via V, of course. Uh, and I think that there's a scenario in that in which that could be op- uh, an option as well. Uh, again, just really quickly on, on that option. If I don't think that you would see Seattle 
make a big splashy move right now. But I think on draft day, when you're sitting there number 37 overall and a team that's up against the cap, like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are, as you said, via Vea, maybe the Colts with DeForest Buckner. Uh, you know, if, if one of those teams, the Tennessee Titans with, with uh, uh, Sullivan, uh, excuse me, Jeffrey Simmons, Simmons, um, if, if any one of those teams is willing, is so desperate that they're willing to trade a all pro caliber interior defensive lineman for a second round pick. And I do think that there might be some teams might be willing to do that kind of stuff. And to me, that's something that Seattle has to consider as well. Otherwise, again, I love this draft class in terms of if you get a Mozzie Smith early, then I think there's a lot of the big long arm guys. You can get a little bit more in those middle and later rounds. I'm going to be honest. If they could get a chance at Jeffrey Simmons, I would try to rework some deals on my roster to make that happen. Because to me, of the players you just threw out there, and I like Vita Vea a lot, but Jeffrey Simmons is a player that is more likely to take over games than what Vita Vea is. And obviously, Vea is a wall in the run game, but so is Jeffrey Simmons, and he's got great pass rushing ability to go with that. So if you could find a way to get Tennessee to move on from him and you didn't have to give up your number five pick to make it happen. That would be something that, you know, John Schneider would at least be kicking the tires around looking into. I'm not saying any of that's going to happen. I think with their own cap issues, they're dealing with the chances of that kind of trade happening seem pretty slim to me. I do like the idea of a player like an Sean Robinson. You know, if the Broncos, they got a lot of money on the books that they just put on for free agency. If you could call the Broncos back up and be like, hey, I know we stole your first and second round picks. Maybe we can give you a day three pick for Mike Purcell and bring him in. He had a really solid year last year. He's been consistently one of the top uh, run defenders for pro football focus out of nose tackle types. He's played in that 3-4 defense, so that would be a guy that makes some sense. Robinson has played inside some. His medicals, you said, are the biggest deal, but there are going to be a number of guys that are going to be available later in the free agency, and maybe some of the guys the Seahawks cut ties with, including Al Woods. We don't know what his market's going to look like, but they're going to be able to wait it out and get a veteran, but they are going to have to add at least one big body guy in the draft. And I don't know if they're going to go as early as Mozzie Smith or Siaki Ika in the first couple of rounds, but they could wait till day three. I mentioned uh, Gerard Clark from Coastal Carolina. He is one that played in the senior bowl. And what intrigues me about him is he was a tight end. When you see pictures of this guy now, you're like, that guy was not a tight end, but he was a tight end to start his career at Coastal Carolina, had some injuries. So he just decided, you know what, I'm going to bulk up. Gained almost 90 pounds. He's over 330 pounds now, moved over to defensive tackle. And you could still see the tight end athleticism at that size, that quick first step. He can one and two gap. He's been a starter for two years. So this ain't George Fant 2.0. This is a guy that's played a lot of college football for a really good program at Coastal Carolina. And Keandre Coburn's another player I like. His arm length does worry me, though, to play nose tackle under 32-inch arms. You don't have that issue with Clark, who's just big any way you want to slice it. He is a huge dude. So not a lot of guys like that, but there may be some options on day three for the Seahawks. I think that and maybe picking a veteran that's cheaper down the line, whether it's an outside free agent or one of their own, I think what we can agree on here. They have options, and so maybe they can replace Al Woods with one of these names that we just mentioned. There are options out there that are going to be affordable. If it's a rookie, that's already allocated for with your rookie spending, so that's not part of their effective cap space. 
So there's a lot of moving parts here, but the point is they do have some options. It's not the end of the world. At the same time, there is pressure on John Schneider because when you get rid of experienced veterans like that, you better find quality pieces to replace them or next year could be really rough if you are unable to do that. Coming up next, Christopher Carter of Locked On Steelers is going to be joining us and breaking down new linebacker Devin Bush. What does he bring to the table and why didn't things work out in Pittsburgh? Some really interesting intel from one of our other awesome Locked On hosts. That'll be coming up next year on our Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by FanDuel. We're past the midway point of the NBA season. Now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sports book, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores and three-pointers drained. I'm a big fan of betting on player props, including FanDuel's player parlay builder. For example, yesterday you could have bet on Rudy Gobert to score 20 points at plus 310. Plus FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same game parlay. So don't miss the chance to get your no sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets by going to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined as we continue our Locked On roundup here in free agency by Christopher Carter of Locked On Steelers. The Seahawks making an interesting signing at the linebacker position last week. Devin Bush, a former top 10 pick that I believe if I'm correct on this, the Steelers actually traded up to get him in that draft. And it's interesting, Christopher, anytime you see a top 10 pick like Devin Bush, not stick with the team that drafted him after four seasons, doesn't get the fifth-year option. Everybody's always wondering what went wrong. So that's my first question here for you, because you'd think if Devin Bush played well, the Steelers would have done everything in their power to keep him, and yet they didn't do that, and now he's a Seahawk on a one-year contract. Yeah, I mean, things definitely didn't go go well for the, for the Steelers. And I will say what was very interesting about that was that um, – you know, it was was that he started off very well. His his rookie season, he had the most tackles by a Steelers rookie in the history of the franchise. He was on fire. He was moving left and right. He had a one handed interception while guarding Mark Andrews way down the field against Lamar Jackson. He was showing all the potential that they they traded up to get him with, and everything looked great. And even at the start of his second season, uh, when when he was playing, he played about four or five games to start the year. He was playing well there. Um, and uh, the, the opening season, he had a really good game helping defend Saquon Barkley, and I believe it was 12 rushes for like 11 yards or something like that, and it was the the least amount of r- uh, yard, rushing yards on that amount of rushes in the history of an NFL game, and so he was very much part of that, but then he tore his ACL real badly in, in, in the middle of that 2021 season, or no, 2020 season, excuse me, then he came back in 2021, Said he was good. He clearly wasn't, didn't trust himself. He wasn't nearly as explosive as he was. And he, he, he admitted afterwards he felt tentative about making cuts and jumping. And in 2022, he, he did look better than that, but he still never got back to the 10th overall pick uh, value that the Steelers were hoping to get out of a guy that they traded up to get. And frankly, they did it because Brian Chazier was paralyzed, you know, in 2017, and that left a huge hole in their linebacker group where they thought that they were going to have a superstar player at that position for several years. So after that point, Devin Bush, I think the biggest thing that 
I think that that you know compounded the the injury situation was there was definitely a disconnect with Devin Bush in the team at one point. Uh, you know, just as a person who covered him, he was he he didn't want to talk to many to many people of media. Um, he seemed kind of distant from the team at times. Oftentimes, when uh, when the team would like after a training camp practice would do certain things and work out on their own, he would disappear and he'd maybe either be going to the locker room or going somewhere else. And maybe he had his own thing he was doing, but there was just a, an obvious vibe that even in training camp leading up to this past season that this year was going to be his last year with the Steelers just just because things hadn't worked out. And again, I don't think he's, he was a bad linebacker this year. I think I don't think he was a very good one either, but I think he kind of got back to an acceptable level this year with the Steelers. And I think both sides were happy with a mutual splitting. And sometimes when a guy misses a ton of time with an injury and then you have all the other things that go with that, it ends up making it that the situation isn't tenable anymore, especially for a younger player that had such high expectations. You mentioned that ACL tear and how it has negatively impacted his play. What specifically did you see? Obviously, you mentioned him being tentative, but there's got to be more to it than that because I did get to see him play his rookie year. I watched a few of the games and he was just popping off of the film, and you're thinking that guy's going to be a superstar. And for an injury, obviously ACL tears are still significant, but in today's era, guys usually are able to bounce back from that injury. For him not to be able to do that, what were some things that you noticed on the field that just made it that he just was a shell of himself? I mean, one thing that I saw for sure is that he didn't look like he trusted his own reads as far as what offenses were doing. Yeah. There were times when a team would, you know, have a counter trap, they pull the guard, he would fly out in front of that and try to at least take on the guard in space or at least be in the space where he thought the, the running back would be. And he might not have been an elite playmaker in that spot, but he was at least understanding where he, he could be and using his athleticism to get there. I You didn't see much of that. Uh, you know, especially in 2021, 2022, we saw a little bit of that return. There were a couple good games where I felt that he uh, he he like was he was showing some of that that ability again. But just that sideline to sideline speed, you know, that was what they were thought they were getting. Because, you know, if you remember that draft class, it was it was a lot of people said, you know, at the top of the class, it was it was a Devin White and B Devin Bush. And those were the two top guys. Devin White goes, you know, inside the top 10. Devin Bush comes at the end of the top 10. Um, and that's what the Steelers were hoping to get in a Devin Bush. Uh, and again, I think that initially they did get it. But I think that on top of the ACL, I think there was a bit of a mental regression as well because he was just kind of disconnected from the game. And you just saw the on-field instincts not being nearly the same. I mean, his his first year, especially Corbin, he was he was where the ball was. He found ways to be relevant in plays. Even if he didn't make the, the ultimate play, he was able to be there. He did intercept Patrick Mahomes off a tip pass in the playoff game in 2021. Um, and you know, that was that was a good moment for him. But he just never got back to the point where it was like, yeah, that guy is the person you traded up to get in uh, at 10th overall. Um, and uh, and I think that uh, you know a reset could be good for him. I don't want to I don't want to tell Seahawks fans that this guy's doomed to stink forever. I do think that he has the capabilities to become a playmaker at linebacker and be a, a better player than he was in the last two seasons. But he would have to show a real commitment to I think studying game plans to getting back into being an, an, an instinctual player. Uh, because if he is that, he's I think he can be very good. When he's not that, I think he's kind of just an undersized middling linebacker that that needs to show those to be a more impact player. You mentioned the situation that he jumped into as a rookie because Ryan Shazier obviously had that horrific injury. I'm just saying this hypothetically. If the Seahawks were to bring Bobby Wagner back for this next season, 
Do you think that that would be something that could really help this kid get back on track? Because he didn't necessarily have that guy to learn from and watch at the linebacker position when he got to Pittsburgh. Uh, I actually think he would do that fine because he did in Vince Williams and not that Vince Williams was some superstar player, but he was a good veteran who was able to kind of help talk Devin Bush through things. And I think that he helped him kind of be in position. And then even this past year when Vince Williams was, was done in 2020 before 2021 and, you know, Devin Bush, when he came back, didn't have him alongside the Steelers went and got miles Jack in free agency and miles Jack, you know, also had injury concerns and he's now already off the Steelers roster as well. But one thing that miles Jack, at least in just watching how they played together, miles Jack helped Devin Bush kind of be in more of the right spots and kind of work together in tandem. I do think Devin Bush could be a learner in someone that, 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 that takes advice from an older player. But I also think he's a guy that there's times where sometimes he wants to prove that he's right about something or, or wants to, wants to show that, Hey, I'm doing the right things. And he kind of, you know, he'll, he'll, I think he'll push back against that, that, that kind of situation. So I think Devin Bush, yeah, he could, but it's going to be up to him and where he is mentally uh, for, for that. And again, I, I I've covered Devin. I've talked to Devin. I, I think that there's times where I think that he's been, he's been, his negatives have been magnified a little too much over the positives that he was bringing. I think that uh, there's, there were, there are also times where he could have showed more interest or shown more concern for situations or more attention to detail in those situations. But again, I, I think that he's gotten back to the point where his athleticism will help him again. It's just about, can he commit to it? And can he show everyone that they were wrong about him by in his restart with the Seattle Seahawks? And in this restart, he's getting the typical one-year prove-it deal, a little under $3.5 million. The Seahawks did not throw a ton of money at him, but this is a chance for the 24-year-old to get his game back on track. What do you think would be the best-case scenario for him, having covered him the last four years, going to Seattle? What do you think is the best-case scenario? You've obviously emphasized what could be a worst case with his durability, but what would be the best-case scenario for Seattle getting him back on the field this year in 2023? Best case scenario is, you know, I saw Mel Kuyper Jr.'s new mock draft, and I believe he had the Seattle Seahawks taking Jalen Carter at sixth overall. If you were able to get a dominant defensive line that kept him clean of having to worry about centers and guards leaking up to him every play where he can just see things cleanly and attack and play that way, I think that would help him get his feet back under him, and that would allow him to get back to being the playmaker linebacker that he was in his first one and a half years in the NFL. Uh, because I think that was the biggest problem that he had was when uh, like he could deal with the occasional you know offensive lineman that got to his level and work around them. But when you saw it have to ha- happening every play after play after play, especially in 2021, when the Steelers had the, the worst rush defense in the league that year, big part of that problem was they mounted up injuries on the defensive line. Guys couldn't take on double teams. And then uh, offensive linemen were getting to the Steelers linebackers and Devin Bush just looked unable to keep up with that consistently but again if you have a better defensive line that's able to keep those linebackers clean I think that'll help him get his feet under him and then it'll just be up to him can he make that decision himself can he show that commitment to get there and if he does that I think that he can be a longtime starter for you I mean this guy's also extremely young he's he'll be 25 years old at the start of the season uh with what three four, four, four years of NFL experience so you know that's that's something to to have under you is that you you know there's some there's guys there's some guys coming into the league that age and this is a guy who you know has you know five or six more years of prime of prime era football in, in him for a linebacker and I think that's a chance for the Seattle Seahawks if they can hit the get him to hit the reset button get him to refocus and fit on their team and keep him clean 
from offensive linemen consistently, I think that sets him up for, for a good chance to prove everyone that he can still be that he can get he can actually be the top linebacker that the Steelers drafted him to be. No pressure, John Schneider. You've gotten rid of most of your defensive line, <laughs> added a few pieces, but he's got some work to do to make sure that bodies aren't getting to Devin Bush so he can take advantage of his athleticism. As always, greatly appreciate your incredible insight on the Steelers. This is Christopher Carter of Locked on Steelers. Greatly appreciate it. And looking forward to our next visit when we have a chance to talk about our two teams. I don't believe the Steelers are on the Seahawks. Oh, wait, they are on the Seahawks schedule this upcoming season. So we will have a chance to catch up during the season. Best wishes to you the rest of this offseason, good sir. Same to you, Corbin. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked On Seahawks. We're available on Apple Podcasts and all major podcast platforms and streaming five days a week video form. Coming up tomorrow on our Wednesday episode, we'll have the latest in free agency news, maybe some tackling some listener mailbag questions as well, and much more. Hope you'll be listening in. Thanks for listening to our Tuesday show. Go Hawks.